Having trouble finding your favorite libation? Big shortage in the world of spirits. Big studies showing ivermectin with tremendous efficacy in hospital patients. And alphas don't choke. This is the Cigar Dave Podcast with The General. Well, I have to tell you, I have been in a state of somber depression since Sunday evening around 9.45 p.m. Eastern Time when my Buffalo Bills, no, specifically not the Bills, specifically Bills head coach Sean McChoke McDermott in the most critical game of his life, the most critical time of the game, massively chokes. Alpha males rise to the occasion. Beta males choke. We'll get into that. So it has been somber all week. I've got to tell you, it has screwed me up all week. I have not been at the top of my game. I have been thinking of them every day that goes by. I get angrier and angrier, but I'll get into that in just a bit. Long Ash greetings and salutations. A Long Ash snappy salute. Semper delectatio. Always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Save America. As always, it is your global five-star general alpha male-in-chief front and center here from Command Center Alpha in the cigar city of Tampa. Those of us that are connoisseurs, we enjoy our cigars, we enjoy our libations. And in just a moment, I will tell you how both are interrelated in terms of supply availability. But first, The Cigar Dave Show is presented by Davidoff of Geneva. Introducing the new Avo Caribe. Experience the journey of flavor created by a synchronized blend of tobaccos from the Caribbean accentuated with a touch of lively fillers from Central America. Head to the land where palms sway to the breeze of the sea with the new Avo Caribe. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com and by Gurkha. The world's finest cigars, including the new Gurkha Revenant, the five-country fusion of exceptionally aged tobaccos will immediately jumpstart your senses for a cigar journey that only Gurkha can deliver. Offered in both Corojo and Maduro presentations. Fire up a new Gurkha Revenant today. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. Cigars and spirits, they go hand in hand. We know this. We enjoy firing up a cigar and at the same time, enjoy a libation. Now that can be... Everything from soda to coffee to juice, orange juice, tomato juice. But more specifically and probably more popularly, spirits. Alcoholic spirits, uh, spirits, libations. And if you have been searching in your local spirits or wine retailer, and you've gone down the tequila aisle, the Scotch Isle, the Bourbon Isle, you will find many holes, many places on the shelves that are empty. And this was reinforced this week when Diageo reported their earnings and the world's largest spirit maker stated they are running low on many of their libations, many of their spirits. For example, soaring pandemic demand has depleted stocks of Crown Royale. Lagavulin Scotch, and Don Julio Tequila. 
Diageo also said it does not have enough bottles to package up bullet bourbon to meet demand. In fact, they announced that their sales were down 19% last year of bullet bourbon. They purchased bullet a number of years ago. Bullet, a very popular boutique small batch bourbon, down 19%. Can't get the bottles. And what has happened during the pandemic, same thing that has affected cigars, is that when people were not going out to dinner, when they weren't going to concerts, when they weren't traveling, they were not going into the office. They had more time to stay at home, to have a libation, to fire up a cigar during the day. If you were working from home in your man cave outside on your patio in the warmer months, you fire up a cigar while you're on your computer during a Zoom conference or on a teleconference or a conference call or just doing work in general. Have a spirit while you're working. Nobody's going to say no. And with people spending less on outside entertainment, they decided they would spend far more for better cigars and better spirits. The premium brands and super premium brands and the pandemic really whipsawed both the cigar industry and the spirits industry consumers' behavior. Because more and more people now could enjoy a cigar, could enjoy and can enjoy a spirit at home. I've talked to many people, many friends of mine, attorneys, business people, entrepreneurs, people that work, uh, that are VP of sales for larger companies who are not traveling, who said, I used to have to go in the office. I couldn't just fire up a cigar in the middle of the day or say about 2 o'clock, I'm going to have a, a libation while I work. But when you're home, who's going to say no? You can fire up a cigar. You can have a libation. You're getting your work done. No problem. And what's interesting is tequila. Now, we have said this. And over the last number of years when we do our, our tequila spirit tasting maneuvers right around Cinco de Mayo, early May, I have stated that tequila is one of the hidden gems of the brown spirits world. Many people think of tequila when they're on vacation. They're in the sun in the Caribbean, in Mexico, in, in Florida, wherever they may be traveling to for vacation. They're on the beach. They have a nice uh, big margarita. It tastes like candy. It's thirst-quenching. Next thing you know, you've had probably two or three of them, and there's probably three shots in every drink, and you are stumbling around, you are feeling sick, you add the sun and the heat, it is not a good recipe. But we all know that if you have a tequila añejo, you have a spirit that is very similar to a cognac, similar to an aged single malt scotch, or similar to a small batch bourbon. And so we've seen a huge explosion in tequila sales. Diageo owns the Don Julio uh, lineup. Their 1942 line is aged a minimum of two and a half years. Their Añejo line, 18 months. So what happens is they need time. And what, when you look at tequila sales, they jumped 61% for Diageo last year. Think about that, 61%. So when you have more demand, what are you going to do? You're going to tap into your age supplies. 
Now remember, if you've got an increase in demand of 61%, you can't just say, hey, let's just make more and start pumping it out. They can make more, but then they have to lay it down for six months, a year, two years, or for the Don Julio 1942, two and a half years. Crown Royale, sales up big time as well, 12% second half of the year. Now, Crown Royale is not single malt. It's not a single batch, single, single, uh, uh, you know, one batch. It's, it's, it's blended. So consequently, they take whiskeys of various ages, Canadian whiskeys, and they blend them. Well, when you look at Crown Royale, they are now dipping into their reserves. Now, they have increased the amount of juice if you will, that they are producing, but it still has to go into barrels and it still has to be aged. And what's interesting is U.S. single malt scotch sales fell 5% in the second half of the year. Why? Because Diageo did not have enough stock, enough supply of Lagavulin, which is a big best-selling brand. Love Lagavulin. So even though scotch sales in the United States rose 11%, their scotch sales fell, single malt scotch sales fell 5%. 5%. So what are they doing? Well, they're trying to push their Johnny Walker brand, which is, again, a blended whiskey. Now, I love Johnny Walker. Give me Johnny Walker Black. I'll certainly take Johnny Walker Blue. Johnny Walker Red, not so much. Now, it's very different than a single malt scotch, but it's a blended scotch whiskey. So they're spending more because they have so much availability of the Johnny Walker and when you think of Johnny Walker, you think of Dewar's, you think of Chivas Regal. It's the same thing. They're both, all three are blended Scotch whiskeys. So we are seeing a huge, huge supply problem now where they can't get bottles. And then when they get bottles, they can't get corks. Then when they get the corks, they can't get the bottles. But then when they get the bottles and the corks, then they don't have enough age spirit to put it in. Or they have to severely limit the amount of spirits that they are going to bottle. And it's the same thing with cigars. These cigar manufacturers are seeing not only increased costs, that's why most cigar manufacturers have increased their prices 5 to 8% starting the first of the year. But they're seeing problems getting cellophane, problems with boxes, problems with labels. Then they had issues where their rollers weren't able to roll because of the Wuhan virus. So there's been a plethora, a multitude of domino cascade effects that are taking place in both the cigar industry and the liquor industry. Go into any cigar retailer, and I guarantee you will try to find some of your favorite cigars, and you'll see either very low supply, or you'll see the box closed, or the box just removed from the shelf. Now, most retailers will still keep the box, and they'll close it, because they don't want to give up that shelf space because, for example, some Arturo Fuente cigars are in short supply. There's a a number of brands that are seeing shortages. Go walk into any retailer. Ask the retailers. They will tell you the same thing. The cigar industry starting in 2020, the last half of 2020, saw a huge increase in demand. And then last year, huge, unprecedented increases. We're going back to numbers around the Cigar boom around 1994, 95, 96, 97. That hasn't been seen. 
Why? Once again, people can consume cigars during the day. When you're working in an office environment or you're traveling for business, you can't just fire up a cigar, but you can if you are working at home. And so we're seeing more consumption of higher-end cigars and certainly higher-end spirits. And the supply chain issue has affected every single cigar manufacturer. I've talked to them all. And in fact, it has affected us at the Cigar Dave Officers Club. January, we were unable to fulfill our monthly shipments because the cigars that we anticipated would be in in early December aren't going to be available till probably late February sometime in March. And I uh, hate to announce now that our February selection is going to be nixed as well. Why? Same exact thing. Huge back order. Unable to fulfill production. The cigars that should have been made six months ago, being ready to come out of the aging room, are not ready. And then there are shipping delays. And then there's other items that are just cascading one after the other. So we did not have a January shipment. We will not have a February shipment. We are working. We think we'll have the March shipment, but we can't guarantee it. This is the first time since we've been doing the Officers Club in, I think now close to 17, 18 years, we've ever had to miss two shipments in a row. Every so often we'll have one shipment during a year. There'll be a cigar that wasn't properly aged. There's issues, but we've never had it like this over the last year. It is affecting everybody. It is affecting you as a consumer because chances are you're having a difficult time finding your favorite cigar. So we're looking to make some changes to the Officers Club. I may, I, one, one of the things I'm thinking of is, and I've never really said this, that every year I work with about three or four cigar manufacturers where I create a blend just for me. And they'll make me about 300 cigars. And I'll put those cigars in my humidor. I hand them out to friends. These are super premium cigars, top shelf tobacco. When I work with them, I say price no object. I want the best. And I've done cigars with El Titan de Bronze. I've done cigars with uh, General Cigar. I've done cigars with Rocky Patel. I've done cigars with Gurkha, with Davidoff, all the major brands where I work with them at the factory. And I say, this is what I'm looking for. And I want you to take this wrapper. And I know you're hiding some of this binder and filler, this, this specific type in this age. And I want you to create a cigar just for me. I don't publicize it. I don't talk about it on the show. Don't even smoke it on the show. So I've had some discussions with the cigar manufacturer saying, maybe what we do is, for very limited, maybe we produce 500 packs of five. Very limited. It's going to be a super premium cigar where maybe three times a year, four times a year, we'll release these cigars. Because in those kind of quantities, limited quantities, the manufacturers with the lead time, they can make sure that it works. So we're looking at some changes. Again, this all revolves around the supply chain issues caused by the Wuhan virus. And it's affecting everybody and every industry, including ours. So we will keep you informed. We're hoping that we are on track for the March shipment. We'll keep everybody informed. February is out. Your credit card will not be charged. So fear not. Your membership is still good. Hopefully, March, we will have that, and I will keep our Officers Club members updated via email and via social media and, of course, via CigarDave.com. But we're working on some other options. So we'll see what happens. We will certainly keep you informed. Nobody two years ago could have predicted 
that we would be seeing huge supply issues and price issues and shipping issues that we are seeing today. Couldn't predict it. It is amazing what the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus, the devastation it's caused not only to people's health, people's lives, but in the normal operation of commerce and shipping around the world. And when I see that the Olympics are being held in communist China, my, ex my first question is why? Why? And now athletes who download the Olympic app for them to get around and, and, and access all sorts of information, there's spy software. There's spyware on that app. One of the big computer security software companies did an analysis of the app and found that it can record, it can track your movements, all sorts of nefarious acts, nefarious activities that they are monitoring. And they are warning athletes, if you speak out against the government, we can come and arrest you. Why on earth would the Olympic Committee send athletes to a country that is going to limit what they can say why are we still sending athletes, why is the United States sending Olymp athletes to China, who, by the way, also there is now some sort of uh, hemorrhagic fever going around, and some very large cities in China are being locked down, and nobody's talking about it. I can tell you, my favorite between the Winter and Summer Olympics is the Winter Olympics. Love hockey, bobsledding, the ski jumping, the luge, for the first time ever. I will not watch the Winter Olympics. Don't care. Don't want to support China. Don't want to support any network that is in China broadcasting the games. Have zero interest. I hope all of our athletes win gold and clobber China and every other country. But I will not watch it. Zero interest. And why on earth should the Olympic Committee choose countries that, number one, torture their own people, restrict their own people's speech, and now athletes' speech and activities. Screw that. It's time for the U.S. or the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, to wake up and say, if your country is communist, if you suppress speech, if you murder and put your own people into work camps, we're not coming your way. Have a backbone, which the IOC does not have. The International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony is next. Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro series entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro series, it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. They incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper. You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium-bodied cigar with subtle sweetness resembling 
tropical fruits. The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe, available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Well, I'm in the mood for a nice, pleasant, mild cigar since we are recording this edition of the Cigar Dave Show on a very cool Saturday morning in the Cigar City, relatively early. So I need something that's going to be mild, it's going to be pleasant, going to be creamy, that's going to go with the libation of choice today. So I have selected the Gurkha Real. If you like a mild to medium-bodied cigar that's creamy, Notes of vanilla, very smooth. You're going to love the Gurkha Real. It is draped in a Connecticut Ecuadorian wrapper, beautiful natural shade-grown wrapper because of the low cloud cover. In Ecuador, you get a natural shade-grown wrapper, whereas the Connecticut USA is grown under tarpaulin cloths so that the sun does not hit the tobacco leaf directly. Shade hits the tobacco leaf. But in Ecuador... It has the natural shade in the mountainous areas. The filler is Honduran. The binder is an Olor Dominicano. So the filler is Honduran Criollo 98 Lajero and Criollo 98 Seco. Rolled in the Dominican Republic comes in four different sizes. A Robusto, a Toro, a Churchill, and a Magnum. And I have selected the 7x52 Churchill. Seven inches in length with a 52 ring gauge or 52 64 7 inch in diameter. Very nice cigar. Suggested retail is in right around, I would say, nine bucks. Beautiful stick. The aroma of this wrapper and cigar is fantastic. Has the Gurkha logo, secondary band that says Real in black over a gold, nice band. Ah, fantastic. Nice. This will be a nice mild to medium-bodied cigar. Nice morning, afternoon, any time of day stick. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Self-sharpening, double-edged stainless steel guillotine, ready for cutting maneuvers. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. From the Cigar Dave R&D Laboratories, I've got the five-star. Five Butane jet flames, gas flames, that are arranged at a Pentagon to symbolize my five-star general ranking. Big translucent tank. I've got about half the tank filled. It's got a built-in piercer. Beautiful-looking lighter. Compact, but provides proper litation BTUs when necessary. And that is my litation device of choice today. Cigar, Cigar pre-litation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Here comes the cut. Perfect. All right. Fantastic. Ugh, the aroma of the cigar, absolutely magnificent. Let me now toast the foot of this Gurkha Real Churchill. Again, taking my time, holding the cigar at a 45 degree angle. Just letting the heat do cause combustion. Just rotating the cigar in between my fingers, making sure that I have the wrapper 
toasted burning first, which I now do. Now I will toast the foot of the cigar just for a few seconds. Now I will puff and rotate slowly. Mmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So pleasant. I need this to calm down after the traumatic experience I went through Sunday evening. The 13 seconds of ineptitude. Mm. Let me just let the Gurkharial cigar sit for just a few seconds as it burns. The aroma wafting around me, very nice. Take several puffs. Again, creamy, tinge of sweetness, vanilla, pleasant, mellow, just an overall nice cigar in terms of strength, in terms of subtle complexity. Can't go wrong any time of day. Hmm. Now, I need the proper accoutrement. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. As many of you know, my grandfather, Cigar Abe, loved his gold label cigars, and he loved his Crown Royale. The original Crown Royale. Before they had five different, ten different, fifteen different Crown Royales. There was one to start. Now in the Crown Royale Signature Series, there's the Deluxe, which is the original in the purple velvet bag. They have the Crown Royale Rye. They have the Black. The Blenders Match in their Masters Series. They have the XR, the XO, the Reserve, Love, and the Wine Barrel Finish. They also have their Flavor Series, which I despise. It's like drinking... It's taking Crown Royale, a lovely Canadian whiskey, and just pouring straight-up artificial flavor in the whiskey. They have their apple, their vanilla, their peach, and their salted caramel. I'm sorry. I'm a purist when it comes to spirits. I want to enjoy the natural taste of the spirits, whether it is the barley, the, the, the rye, the corn. I want to taste the wood barrel finish. I don't want apple. If I want an apple or peach, I'm going to go get one in the supermarket and eat it. Now, they have some retired whiskeys, two of which were in their flavored category, and I'm glad they retired them. The Crown Royale Maple and the Texas Mesquite. When I first saw the Crown Royale Maple, I bought a bottle. I figured, okay, it must be finished in maple barrels. Wrong. It literally tasted like I was drinking Aunt Jemima's pancake syrup or log cabin pancake syrup. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to say Aunt Jemima because that's not politically correct. Because that's a stereotype. What do they even call it now? Wait a minute, I've got to look. They came up with some cockamamie name. I'm not changing, I still call it Aunt Jemima. And by the way, the descendants of Aunt Jemima who played, the woman who, who was the character of Aunt Jemima for many years was, the family was offended. They took, Oh, it's now called Pearl Milling Company syrup. Now, are you going to say, oh, pass me the pearl milling, or are you going to say, pass me the Aunt Jemima? Dumbest damn name I've ever heard. Pearl Milling Company 
pancake syrup. No, it is Aunt Jemima. From 1889 to 2021, the syrup, the brand was known as Aunt Jemima. It will be Aunt Jemima then. It was Aunt Jemima then. It will be Aunt Jemima today. It will be Aunt Jemima tomorrow. You can talk about pearl milling all you want. Pass the Aunt Jemima. And that's exactly what the Crown Royal maple tasted like. It was atrocious. And the Texas Mesquite, again, they took liquid smoke and put it into Crown Royale and absolutely destroyed it. Same thing with the honey. Those are all gone. Retired, finished, bye-bye. But I've got the good old-fashioned, regular Crown Royale Deluxe. Can't go wrong. Very smooth. Let me open up the bottle here. Okay, there we go. We'll pour a little bit of that. Fantastic. There's my bottle. Swish it around in my whiskey snifter. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. Definitely getting some vanilla and fruit. Nice, rich aroma. Let me say cheers. Take a sip. Hmm. Hmm. Smooth. Hints of oak. Very vanilla-y. Little creamy. Nice warmth going down, but not overpowering. Take another sip. Mm. I remember my grandfather would always give me the Cron Royale Velvet Purple Bag. I had tons of them. To this day, when I buy Crown Royale, love the Crown Vel- the Crown Bag. The velvet bag. I use it for umpteen things. I put some of my traveling microphones in the bag. I'll put my some of my uh, traveling uh, the chargers and the cords. You can't go wrong. I wish they would just sell the bag separately because it is such an iconic bag. I mean, it's it. You ask anybody about Crown Royale, and they'll tell you, oh, the bag. And even their other spirits come in a, a, either a tan bag, velvet bag, or a black velvet bag. It's all it, incredible branding that to this day stands the test of time. So very pleasant. Not going to break the bank on Crown Royale. You're probably looking in the for a 750. You're probably with a very distinct, very distinct uh, uh, bottle. Looks like a crown. Looks very royal. Probably looking in the $35 category. Somewhere along those lines, very reasonably priced. Take a puff of my Gurkha Real. Mm. Mm-hmm. Take a taste of my sip of my Crown Royale. Mm. I remember my grandfather, Cigar Abe, gave me my first taste of Crown Royale. Oh, I was a little kid. I had my first puff when I was five. Now, I didn't know what I was doing. I remember I said, Pop Abe, let me have a puff. Okay, but don't tell your daddy. And I didn't know what I was doing. I put my mouth on it. That was it. But nonetheless, I said, hey, I'm now a cigar connoisseur. And I can't remember what age. Maybe I was, I don't know, 10 years old. And I said, let me have a sip. He's like, all right, one sip. Don't tell your daddy. (laughs) And I had a little sip. And certainly at the time, 10 years old, I was like, ugh. But then you acquire the taste for it. And certainly now, whenever I look at the bottle and I pour a glass of Crown Royale like I'm doing now, I think of my grandfather, 
Cigar Abe. May he rest in peace. And boy, would I have loved to have had a cigar and a glass of Crown Royale with him. But I do so thinking of him, and that is the important part. All right, when we return, we will talk about a new study that has just been released. We have heard Dr. Anthony Furifoni Fauci, the Fura, saying there's no studies for ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. We need double randomized, triple randomized studies. Well, now we have a triple or double randomized scientific study showing that azithromycin and hydroxychloroquine work even in a hospital setting. We will tell you that. We'll go over that and several other items, including the 13 seconds of ineptitude as the Cigar Dave Show continues. You count on me to fill you in about new cigars that you should be adding to your cigar or repertoire, your humidors. So I've got two cigars from Gurkha that I will fill you in just launched last fall. Both the Gurkha Revenant Corojo and the Gurkha Revenant Maduro, medium-bodied cigars, each with a slightly different taste profile. Both are square-pressed, feel great in the hand, outstanding cigar smoking experience. First up, the Corojo features a Honduran Corojo wrapper, Cameroon binder, Dominican Nicaraguan, and a special classified broadleaf. Between the Cameroon binder and the broadleaf, you get some sweetness. The Honduran Corojo gives it a little bit of a peppery note. When we talk about the Gurkha Revenant Maduro, features one of my favorite wrappers, the Mexican San Andrean Maron wrapper. A beautiful Maduro, same Cameroon binder. The filler has a little bit of a twist. Still has the Nicaraguan and the sweet broadleaf, but it features a Dominican T13 hybrid tobacco. Very unique hybrid cross. Great flavors, nice strength, not overpowering. Each Gurkha Revenant between the Corojo and Maduro, slightly different flavor profiles, both on the medium to medium plus side. Can't go wrong. Comes in both a Robusto and a Toro. Great price in the $7, $7.5 area. Check out your retailer. Try a Gurkha Revenant Corojo or a Gurkha Revenant Maduro. You will thank me. We have heard for the last nearly two years, Fuhrer Anthony Fauci, phony Fauci, who talks like this. There's simply, Senator, you're wrong. Senator, there is no evidence whatsoever, no evidence whatsoever that I'm an honest man. There is no evidence whatsoever that I told you the truth about the Wuhan lab. There is no evidence whatsoever that I was telling you the truth about the fact that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin don't work. I have been lying all along because I, Fura Fauci, am a liar. I'm a blatant liar. I have a, I'm, a, I'm a physician of no integrity. I haven't seen a patient in 45 years. I have zero integrity. I have no moral character. I should be charged by the world court with crimes against humanity for the six or 800,000 murders in the United States. I will plead guilty to all them, and you should sentence me to, to uh, you should find me guilty, and then sentence me to the gas chamber, or the, or the gallows, or the guillotine. But no, for no reason should I be living here, since I am such a murderous, murderous, evil person along the lines of the worst barbarians in human history. I wish phony Fauci would say that. He should say that because that's the truth. He should be tried for 800,000 crimes against humanity, for the deaths of those 800,000 Americans that could have been prevented. 
probably 80, 90% could have been prevented with early treatment. Phony Fauci should be found guilty. And what is the penalty for crimes against humanity? You all know what the, what the penalty is. I don't even have to tell you. Let's just say phony Fauci wouldn't be walking the swamp or swimming in the Washington, D.C. swamp any further. A study has just been released. A multi-center, randomized, open-label study to assess the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine azithromycin, and zinc with or without IV vitamin C in hospitalized patients with the Wuhan virus in reducing symptom severity and duration and preventing death. And here's the headline of this study, which was published on the NIH, the National Institute of Health website. Therapies to prevent progression of COVID-19, including hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, zinc, and vitamin D3 with or without intravenous vitamin C, an international multi-center randomized trial. Published by Karine Reed, Tafik Benjamin, and Avni Sali. And here is the abstract, as I told you what the objectives were. The methods. They took hospitalized patients with the Wuhan virus in seven participating hospitals in Turkey who were screened for eligibility and randomly allocated to receive either hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc, group one, or hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, zinc, and intravenous vitamin C treatment, that is group two, both for 14 days. The patients also received both sets, non-therapeutic levels of vitamin D3. One of the findings for patients who are hospitalized with the Wuhan virus, and especially those who enter the ICU, they have tremendously low levels, dangerously low levels of vitamin D3. Now, everybody thinks vitamin D. You just go out in the sun for 15 minutes. Well, that's true. But even if you do, you still are vitamin, most likely vitamin D deficient. We test, when you get a blood test for cholesterol, we look at, the doctors look at white cell counts, they look at all sorts of various items. But one of the things they don't test for is vitamin D. And vitamin D has been found to be essential. Essential vitamin D levels, essential for health, for, the, for beating various disease, even cancer. They have found vitamin D plays an integral part. Now the results were, or the trial was registered on the Australian and New Zealand Clinical Trial Registry and has been approved by Australian Therapeutic Goods Administration. So Fauci can't come in and say, well, this is just some half-assed, half-baked study. He can't say, well, that's not a randomized, controlled study. He can't come up with any excuses. The only thing he can say is, this looks like a legitimate study, but he won't because he is still pushing an obsolete vaccine that is totally ineffective against the Omicron variant. The initial vaccines were created to emulate the spike proteins in the Wuhan variant initially, and then the Alpha variant. And it did have some effectiveness on the Delta variant, 
but it's not effective on the Omicron. So it has already morphed. It is an obsolete vaccine. So when I hear Fauci or any medical professional telling people, get the vaccine, get the vaccine, 99% of all the cases now of the Wuhan virus are the Omicron variant. You can take 10 vaccines. It is ineffective. That's why we're seeing so many people who are vaccinated coming down with the Omicron variant, which is a far less virulent form of the Wuhan virus than the original Alpha or Wuhan or Delta variants. It doesn't travel deep into the lungs. Most people reporting just the common effects of a cold. There are some who it does go into the lungs, but early treatment, all the therapeutics, the early treatment still effective against the Omicron variant. Azithromycin, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D3, all effective, but physicians and the medical industrial complex will still not prescribe it early on. You'd think that when you have incredible evidence, clinical evidence, of people being treated with that cocktail of therapeutics, which are very inexpensive, 20, 30 bucks for the treatment, maybe 50 on the high side, you would think physicians would say in hospitals, hey, we got to treat these people. We can keep them out of the hospital. Did you ever think for a second that maybe the hospitals want to get patients in the hospital? Think about it. They get a 20% kicker for patients that come in with the Wuhan virus. Every day a patient spends in ICU, cha-ching. Every day a patient stays in the hospital, cha-ching. The hospitals can say all they want. Oh, we don't want patients in here. Wait until some of the publicly traded hospital corporations release their year-end results and their third and fourth quarter results, or their fourth quarter results. You will see massive increases in profitability. Why? Well, when the federal government is going to pay a 20% kicker for Medicare patients, Medicaid patients, and I believe that many of the private insurance companies are also bound by that, you are going to see a massive push to keep patients in the hospital. So here we have a study of 237 hospitalized patients with the Wuhan virus between age 22 and 99. The mean age was 63.3, plus or minus 15.7 years of age, all enrolled in the studies. Almost all the patients, this is fascinating, almost all the patients were vitamin D deficient. 97% of patients were vitamin D deficient. What did I just say about the correlation with vitamin D? Most every American, most every person on the planet is vitamin D deficient. You have to take vitamin D supplementation. 5,000 IU of vitamin D3, small little tablet, or little caplet. Looks like a little gold thing with a little jelly in it. 5,000 IU. That's all you take that every day. Get your vitamin D levels up. So 97% were vitamin D deficient. 55% were severely vitamin D deficient. 42% were vitamin D deficient where basically they were less than they call 50 NMOL per liter. 3% had insufficient vitamin D levels. None had optimal vitamin D levels. What does that tell you? None had optimal. 
all the patients in the hospital, none of them have optimal D levels. So if there's anything, the first thing I would tell you, I'm not a physician, I'm not a medical professional, but I am loaded with plenty of common sense and intelligence. I would say, wait a minute, if every one of these patients in the hospital is vitamin D deficient and not optimum vitamin D levels, what could we do to get that up? Oh, we can do vitamin D3 supplementation, 5,000 IU. I don't know what it costs. I think I bought, bought a bottle of like 200 vitamin D capsules, these little round little capsules. These mini pellets is what I, they really look like. I don't know what it cost me, 25 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever it was. You take one of those, that right off the bat will help in terms of getting your vitamin D levels up. Get them up. Hey, maybe you can stay out of the hospital. So that's the first thing. First thing, vitamin D, and that you don't need a prescription for that. That is the first thing. Of the patients, 73% had comorbidities. Again, of the 237 hospitalized patients in this study, including 35% that had diabetes, 36% with heart disease, 34% with lung disease. All but one patient treated with hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc, with or without high-dose intravenous vitamin C, fully recovered. Let me say that again. Out of the 237 patients in this trial, admitted to the hospital with the Wuhan virus, with multiple comorbidities, and none of them with optimal vitamin D levels, administering hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc, with or without the high-dose intravenous vitamin C fully recovered. That is 236 of 237 patients. That's a 99.6% recovery rate. The one person who did pass away, a 70-year-old female patient with heart and lung disease, died after 17 days in the ICU, 20 days in the hospital. Her vitamin D level was 6 NMOL, per liter on admission, which is in the severely deficient category. Severely deficient. So she had heart and lung disease, severely deficient vitamin D, could not be saved. But 236 of the 237 patients in hospital were saved, completely recovered. So what is the conclusion that we can make from this study? It suggests that the treatment protocol of hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, ivermectin, and zinc with or without vitamin C is safe and effective in the treatment of the Wuhan virus with high-dose intravenous vitamin C leading to a significantly quicker recovery. Also, the study confirms vitamin D deficiency to be a high-risk factor of severe Wuhan virus disease and hospitalization, with 97% of the study's patients being vitamin D deficient, with zero, zero of the 237 having optimal levels. My fellow alphas, my fellow lieutenants, this study is nine pages. All the numbers are here. I will post this. Sergeant Steve, I will send this to you right after the conclusion of the show. I'm not sure if I did send it already, but I will send you the PDF. You can download this PDF. Look at it. Read it. The findings are indisputable. 
But I will, I will guarantee the only person that will dispute it, the Fuhrer, phony Fauci. He'll come up with some cock and bull excuse why this study isn't right, it's not efficient, it's not effective, they should have had two, 238 people, they only had 237, they should have had 241 They will come up, mark my words, Fauci, the FDA, the CDC, the medical industrial complex will find some excuse. Why? The vaccines, the Wuhan vaccines now are a $50 billion a year business. Do you think that Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson or Moderna are going to roll over and just give up on that? And now I heard Fauci yesterday or the day before on a video conference talking about that Pfizer is now doing testing on babies between six months old and two years old. And that they believe a three-shot vaccine regimen starting at six months old will be effective and safe. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't let that vaccine next to anybody. Now what we know today compared to what we knew even six, eight months ago when we all took the vaccines, I wouldn't go anywhere near that vaccine. You've got in the virus response database over 21,000 deaths caused by the vaccine. And the numbers probably legitimately quadruple that. We see that in Young adults, young men, and when I say young, teenage boys, men all the way up to their 30s, pericarditis, myocarditis, big numbers of those two inflammatory diseases of the heart caused by the Wuhan virus. So why would you give that shot now to anybody except those who are really, really at danger, seniors? or immunocompromised people. I took both shots, but now what, I, what we're reading, there's no way in hell I would ever take another booster. No chance. Not happening. You've got to make your own medical decision. That's up to you. What I say is, go online and do your research. I never tell anybody what to do in terms of their own health. All I say is, do your research. Make up your own mind. Use your brain. The problem is, as we know, half of Americans and half of people around the world are stupid. They run around like mindless lemmings and will do what they are told. They are followers. They are not leaders. We as alphas are leaders. They are followers. So we know. Studies have shown it. Anecdotal evidence has shown it. Clinical evidence has shown it. Hydroxychloroquine. Ivermectin. Azithromycin. Zinc. Vitamin C. Vitamin D3. They're effective therapeutics when given early. At the first sign of a sore throat or a sniffle, get your doctor to write the script for it. And if your doctor won't, find another doctor. There are plenty that will. Cost you maybe 30 to 50 bucks for the total regimen. And now we're talking about these new therapeutics from Merck, which only has a 30% effective rate with many side effects. And now, what is it, Plaxovid or whatever it is from Paxlovid from Pfizer, which has many drug interactions. They're showing a 70% effective rate, but it's a cocktail. There's an HIV drug and this other drug that they have come up with. It's a cocktail. It's a one-week regimen, 750 bucks. 
We don't even know the long-term safety effects of that drug, that cocktail. It's only been around. They only tested it on 2,000 people, and they combined a phase two and phase three trial. Ivermectin's been around for 45-plus years. And don't buy the bullshit that, oh, it's an animal medication. Yeah, it's repurposed. It's repositioned. Many, many medications are repositioned. When my canine, Pendragon's Royal Baron, or before that, Pendragon's Royal Sultan, would have an ear infection or would have some sort of uh, infection, what do they give? Antibiotics that are human grade. I would go get the prescription over at Publix or Walgreens. The, the, the vet would call it in and say, yeah, if you go over there, usually it's like three bucks for the, it's so cheap, it's like a generic. He said, we don't even, we carry it, but it's cheaper, just get it over there. There are loads of human drugs that cross over into the animal world. Tons of them. So this nonsense that ivermectin is a horse drug, it's repositioned and repurposed for horses and for dogs because it has such tremendous antiviral properties and antiparasitic properties. Ivermectin been around 45 years. Hydroxychloroquine's been around 50 plus years. Safety efficacy is phenomenal. Almost no side effects. Very, all, literally almost none. Zinc is a known antiviral. We have the tools. We have had the tools. But the medical industrial complex, the hospitals, phony Fauci, and sadly, many good intended physicians who do want to help their patients but have succumbed to the bullshit that has been spewed, the blatant lies of the medical industrial complex, of the FDA, the CDC, of phony Fuhrer Fauci, or Fuhrer phony Fauci, Believing it lock, stock, and barrel. They made it a political, they weaponized, it became a political item because President Trump said, hey, I'm hearing this works. Maybe we should look into it. I assure you, if Obama or Biden suggested it, mark my words, this pandemic would have been over. Everybody would have been praising Biden and Obama. What geniuses. They took the time to actually find new off-label uses for these drugs. And Dr. Fauci, to say, yes, we should try it, the man is brilliant. Fauci is responsible for murdering 800,000 Americans. Pure and simple. So is the FDA. So is the medical industrial complex. And so is the libstream media that at every single turn denied that hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin were safe. They called it a horse drug. They said that there's no evidence. All fabricated talking points. All I can tell you is, if any one of them got sick, I assure you, they would find a doctor and say, who can get me azithromycin, ivermectin? I'm reading about this. What's good for them is not good for you. This pandemic should have been over a year ago. It's about to get over because people are fed up with the nonsense. These therapeutics work. They will continue to work. The study now proves it. We have it. And sadly, talking about the medical industrial complex, it's a story that was in the New York Post. A rabbi who is in the intensive care unit at Mount Sinai West Hospital, 60 years of age, has the Wuhan virus. He is on death's doorstep. His family is suing the hospital, asking a judge to force Mount Sinai West Hospital to give her husband ivermectin. 
Her physician wants to prescribe ivermectin. The hospital will not allow it to be prescribed, not allow it to be dosed to him. He's in intensive care. He's on his last legs. You have nothing to lose. His current protocol is on steroids, antibiotics, high flow oxygen, and a BPAP or BiPAP, which I believe is a, uh, a form of a ventilator. It's not working. Not working. We have patients, I just recited the study, patients given hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, zinc, vitamin D3, vitamin C, 99.7% of them, or 99.6, I want to be accurate, 236 out of 237 recovered and walked out of the hospital. What is the medical industrial complex, what is the hospital afraid of? I'll tell you what they're afraid of, that it'll work, and it does work, and their gravy train of being able to stockpile all these Wuhan virus patients at big money every day, that gravy train is going to go away. That is obscene. Man's on his on death's door, and you're saying, oh, no, we can't because it's dangerous? The guy's going to die if you don't do anything. And I love that in these articles, they always have to put... They always have to put a disclaimer. I mean, the New York Post says that the, the, the family is going to a, a judge to get her husband uh, given ivermectin. And then they go on to say, a derided treatment not approved by the FDA to combat the virus. I don't give a fuck what the FDA approves for the virus. The FDA doesn't approve off-label uses for tons of drugs. You take aspirin for your heart? I guarantee you, most, most of you, you go in to see your doctor, you take a little baby aspirin every day. No, take one. It's good for you. It's good. Prevents clotting, antiplatelet, scientific fact. I've got a bottle of aspirin right here. Here it is. Got a bottle of aspirin right here. Baby aspirin. 81 milligrams. I am looking here. It says uses for the temporary relief of minor aches and pains or as recommended by your doctor. So the initial use where they got FDA approval and approval for the equivalent of FDAs around the world was for pain relief. Yet, now we find that it's a good anticoagulant, antiplatelet, good for the heart. Okay, this is probably the number one prescribed medicine in the world. And there's, it doesn't say anywhere about good for the cardiovascular system, but it does say or is recommended by your doctor. Cardiologists around the world have been recommending aspirin now for, what, 20, 25 years. It works. FDA didn't approve that. It's an off-label use. We see many, of, as an example, hydroxychloroquine is used for people that have uh, inflammatory diseases, that have all sorts of uh, um, autoimmune diseases. That wasn't approved for, that's not why hydroxychloroquine was initially approved. But it's being used because they found that it works. So this nonsense where they say we can't prescribe this because it's not approved, it, it, it's dangerous. This is, this is only used to treat certain parasites in animals and humans. And that data shows it's not effective against the Wuhan virus. That's a load of bullshit. You know it. I know it. Fuhrer Fauci knows it. The medical industrial complex knows it. Pfizer all the, the big pharma know it, but they don't want to disrupt 
their vaccine gravy train. That is fact. Let's hope this rabbi who is at Mount Sinai West Hospital, let's hope the judge rules promptly and that he's given the ivermectin and he can walk out of that hospital, just like the 236 out of 237 patients did in this study, which proves hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, zinc, vitamin D3, with or without intravenous vitamin C, works. It is effective. We will post that at CigarDave.com on Facebook, Twitter, and Getter. By the way, if you have not followed us on Getter, that's G-E-T-T-R, it is a Twitter competitor that does not restrict speech. Make sure you do so. At Cigar Dave is our getter handle. Twitter is at Cigar Dave Show. Facebook, Cigar Dave. Don't forget, you can always send me an email, CigarDave at CigarDave.com. Take a time out, because when I come back, I need to be in a very calm state to talk about the 13 seconds of ineptitude. Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro series entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro series, it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. They incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper. You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium-bodied cigar with subtle sweetness resembling tropical fruits. The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe, available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. Be sure to subscribe to our brother podcast, Bold Alpha, where we talk the alpha male lifestyle, including cigars, libations, technology, grilling, politics, and more. Search Bold Alpha anywhere you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. You count on me to fill you in about new cigars that you should be adding to your cigar or repertoire, your humidors. So I've got two cigars from Gurkha that I will fill you in just launched last fall. Both the Gurkha Revenant Corojo and the Gurkha Revenant Maduro, medium-bodied cigars, each with a slightly different taste profile. Both are square-pressed, feel great in the hand, outstanding cigar smoking experience. First up, the Corojo features a Honduran Corojo wrapper, Cameroon binder, Dominican Nicaraguan, and a special classified broadleaf. Between the Cameroon binder and the broadleaf, you get some sweetness. The Honduran Corojo gives it a little bit of a peppery note. When we talk about the Gurkha Revenant Maduro, features one of my favorite wrappers, the Mexican San Andrean Maron wrapper. A beautiful Maduro, same Cameroon binder. The filler has a little bit of a twist. Still has the Nicaraguan and the sweet broadleaf, but it features a Dominican T13 hybrid tobacco. Very unique hybrid cross, great flavors, nice strength, not overpowering, 
each Gurkha Revenant between the Corojo and Maduro, slightly different flavor profiles, both on the medium to medium plus side. Can't go wrong. Comes in both a Robusto and a Toro. Great price in the seven, seven and a half dollar area. Check out your retailer. Try a Gurkha Revenant Corojo or a Gurkha Revenant Maduro. You will thank me. As you all know, I'm a huge Buffalo Bills fan, a diehard Buffalo Bills fan. I have been cheering on the team since I remember as a little kid, listening on the radio because many of the games at that time were blacked out. They didn't have a sellout. They were blacked out. I'd listen on radio. And now, of course, all the games are available. No blackouts anymore. And the last couple of years, we've watched as the Buffalo Bills have risen. Coach, head coach Sean McDermott was hired from the Carolina Panthers, where he was the defensive coordinator, to be the head coach of the Buffalo Bills five seasons ago. First season with Tyrod Taylor as quarterback and a hodgepodge roster. They make the playoffs. They go down to Jacksonville, don't even score a touchdown. I think it was a 9-6 game or somewhere along the lines. It was a horrible game. We lose. Okay, first year, but we made the playoffs. The playoff drought is gone. Second year, Bills didn't make it. They had a lot of salary cap issues. They had to bite the bullet. They did. Fans still showed up at, at the stadium, packed the place, sell out crowds at the stadium in Orchard Park. Third season, we make the playoffs. We go down to Houston. When the Texans had Deshaun Watson, they were a decent team. We had the game. We could have won the game. We were a minute away from winning the game, and once again, some bad calls and bad plays lead to Houston driving down the field and beating us on a last-second field goal. Sean McDermott's first correction. That was his second. Oh, wait a minute. I'm trying to think. He's been to the playoffs. Let me see. First year, we lost on the road. Second game at Houston, lost on the road in the third season. Last year, we play in the AFC Championship game at Kansas City. We got manhandled. Allen didn't look good. Our quarterback, Josh Allen, learning experience. That was Sean McDermott's third playoff road loss. This season, confidence is high. Team is riding a five-game winning streak. They had to win all the games in December to capture the AFC East. They do so. They beat the New England Patriots in Foxborough. We win the AFC East. We play New England in the first game of the wild card weekend, and we destroy, decimate, pulverize the Patriots. Wasn't even close. Outstanding performance. Almost a, It was a perfect offensive performance. The only time they didn't score was on the last drive of the game when there was, I think, a minute to go. And Mitch Trubisky, the backup quarterback, assumed the victory position. And they ran three plays, let the time uh, uh, expire. No need to run anything. Game was over. Perfect game. So we go into Kansas City with tremendous confidence. This could be the year we go in. And what a game. At first, Buffalo scores. Then Kansas City, the Chiefs come back, take a nine-point lead. But the Bills hang in there, and Josh Allen turns it on in the second half. They let him rip. They open it up. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I mean, I'm pacing. I, I'm not sitting watching the game. I'm pacing. I'm screaming at the TV. And with 13 seconds to go, Josh Allen 
throws an incredible pass to a wide-open Gabriel Davis in the end zone, and the Bills take a 36-33 lead. And you're saying, we're done. We've got it. 13 seconds. But I said to myself, these are the Bills. We've seen this happen before. We have seen victory snatched away to the hands of defeat many times. And the first thing I said is, do not kick it in the end zone. Let's do a, not a squib kick, let's do a pooch kick so that it goes and maybe ends up around the 10-yard line. And then with 13 seconds, the Chiefs returner has one of two decisions to make. If the ball lands on the 10-yard line, and remember, a kickoff is a free kick. It's not like a punt. You can't say, hey, let's just let it go and let, let it sit there. We'll down it. That doesn't work that way. A kickoff is a free kick. He's got to field it one way or the other if it lands before the end zone. So you tell the kicker, okay, here's what we're going to do now. I'm the head coach. This is the most critical 13 seconds of the game. Maybe three plays, two plays, three plays, whatever it is. I'm the head coach. I get in and tell the entire special team. I tell the special teams coach, this is our strategy. Supposedly, they practice it hundreds of times or many times. I tell, I bring up as the head coach, I'm the alpha leader. I'm the commanding general. I bring the entire special teams around me. And remember, if you are an alpha as a head coach or a general, you are thinking three moves ahead at all times. The Bills head coach, Sean McDermott, who hereafter shall be referred to as Sean McChoke, should have been already thinking on that final drive, if we score a touchdown, what do we do? Well, actually, they had to score the, uh, the, the, I'm trying to remember, wait, 36? They had to score a touchdown. A field goal would not have done any good. They needed the touchdown. So I'm thinking, we score. What is my next move? What is my move after that? And after that, I'm already thinking three steps ahead. I already am thinking, we get the touchdown. We have to kick off. I want already, we're not going to kick that in the end zone. We're going to pooch kick it so it lands around the 15 to the 10-yard line. I, as the head coach, tell that to my special teams coach and tell him, be prepared. If we score, this is what we're going to do. Yes, sir. And then... Before the kickoff, I bring the entire special teams crew, that all the team, the special teams unit, I bring them. And as the head coach, I tell them, reiterate what we're going to do. I look at the kicker right in front of me and everyone else, and I said, we are going to pooch kick this so it lands between the 15 and the 10-yard line. We're not going to boot it out of bounds. Everybody needs to cover. Stay in your lanes. One of two things is going to happen. He's going to down it or he's going to try to run it back, and that's going to eat time off the clock. But all of you need to be prepared for both options. Are we clear? Yes. We are. Let me re repeat one more time. We are going to pooch kick this to the 15 or 10. You all need to be prepared to stop a run back. Okay, got it. You look at the kicker. Got it? You, you cool with this? You got it? Yes. Everybody on the same page? Yes. Let's get it together. Win on three. One, two, three, win. Okay, great. But what happened was the kicker kicked it in the end zone for a touchback. They start at the 25-yard line. Now, I'm thinking to myself at the time, okay, one of two things happened. Either he purposely did that or maybe 
somebody, maybe the kicker didn't get the message, but I'm like, wait a minute, why would the kicker, the most important guy on that special team, not get that message? And you as the head coach would be right in their faces saying, this is what we're doing. This is the moment. This is the shit you live for. That comes down to this. Everybody got it? Yes. Kicks it through the end zone. Now, some people said, I look at one of the players and he looks surprised, but I'm thinking to myself, oh, wait a minute, it was communications failure? What, what's the deal here? So that's travesty number one. So now you let the Chiefs start at the 25-yard line. And one of two things happened. If the, if the Chiefs returner would have said, okay, 13 seconds, I'm fielding this thing at the 10. Let me see if I can get up to the 20-yard line or 25. Or let me see where I can get up. Tick, 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 tick. Five seconds comes off that clock if he runs it. Now, all of a sudden, you're down to eight seconds. And even if he gets it to the 25-yard line with eight seconds, that's time for one, maybe two plays. Now, the Chiefs have all three timeouts. At this point, as a defensive-minded head coach, which Sean McChoke is, you tell the defensive coordinator and the defensive unit, here's what we're going to do. I want you to get up and press coverage on Kelsey, on... The, uh, on, on the receivers, you need to make sure they don't run a clean route. Okay, we'll have our safety help behind, but we they've got timeouts. So don't worry about the sideline. You need to chuck them in that five yards. And worst case, if you hold, no problem. Because even if you hold, another five, six seconds comes off the clock, and now there's only one play left. But you got to disrupt their route. What did the Bills do? They played 10 yards 12 yards off the line of scrimmage. I was, I was amazed. I couldn't believe it. So that's travesty number two. Travesty number three, after a big catch by Tyreek Hill. Now, the Bills call timeout, by the way, after each play. So they got loads of time to discuss their strategy. Do you think any of the defensive backs would have lined up or the defense lined up the way they did if they were told? to go out, get tight to that line and go with man press coverage, don't give that receiver a free release? Do you think they would have lined up on their own themselves 8, 10 yards off the line of scrimmage? The answer is no. They were told that's how you're going to play it. They were told, and Sean McChoke, the head coach, he solely was responsible for making the call, not Leslie Frazier. At that time with 13 seconds, mark my words, McChoke said, I'm running the show now. This is what we're doing. Now, Frazier could be in alignment, but the head coach is ultimately responsible. And when you've got a critical time like that, you may have the best coordinators. You say, I'm running the show. This, I'm the general. I'm the five-star right here. I'm the alpha. 13 seconds. This is what we're doing. So let's say after that second play, they don't give a man a free release. Either they hold or they disrupt the route. They were, they were, they were uh, rushing four defensive linemen. They were getting... In Mahomes' face, he's got to get rid of the ball, can't take a sack. He could take a sack, he'd just call a timeout, but that would have put him even further back. More time elapses. Instead, the Bills, wide open, Tyreek Hill. Picks up, I think, 20 yards. Now you've got less than eight seconds to go. I think there's eight seconds to go. They call a timeout. Now you're thinking, okay, now... There's no way we're going to play loose. you got to have press coverage. you got to shove them, disrupt their route. They didn't. The Bills played, again, eight yards. The defensive backs were playing in a quarter's coverage. 
like they were protecting the sideline. They left the entire center of the field, a 15-yard opening in the center of the field, and Travis Kelsey saw it, told it to Mahomes, who looked over and you could hear on the microphone saying, do it, do it, do it, do it, meaning go right to that center. He throws it, gets the ball. By the way, he was a millisecond away from that ball being uh, crushed out of his arms because Jerry Hughes, a defensive end for the Bills, had massive pressure on him. Mahomes gets it out, wide open 15-yard catch, and then run after the catch to get the Chiefs in field goal position. Goes to overtime, the rest is history. Now, I hate the NFL overtime rules. They're horrendous. They're horrible. They need to be changed. But the Bills had the game won. Sean McChoke is solely responsible. Number one, if he did call for the pooch kick, it wasn't communicated to the kicker. That's inexcusable. And the two plays on defense where they were 8, 10 yards off the line of scrimmage, not pressing the receivers, giving wide open areas of the field, a giant zone, that's unacceptable. So after the game, he says, well, it really boils down to execution. And when someone said, well, can you tell us what do you mean? He said, well, I'd rather not go there. And then the day after, for a season-ending press conference, he hides behind Zoom, doesn't do it in person. Brandon Bean, the Bills general manager, on Tuesday, conducted the press conference in person. Was there for an hour and 15 minutes, took every question. Stand-up guy. Sean McDermott is a fucking McPussy. He's McChicken. He's McChicken shit. That's why I would never hire a defensive coach, ever, in today's National Football League. They don't play to win, they play not to lose. There's a big difference. Andy Reid looked very calm on the sideline, no problem. Sean McChoke was a defense, worked for Andy Reid for I think 10, 12 years, was the defensive coordinator for a few years, then got fired, and then was at, at uh, the Carolina Panthers as defensive coordinator. Sean McChoke is still Andy Reid's bitch. Andy Reid has it all over him. He bent over McChoke and brutally sodomized McChoke without the benefit of any lubricant. Now, if you can tell that I'm angry, here it is just under a week later. I'm even more pissed today than I was Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And the reason that I bring this up, not just because I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, but I bring up Sean McChoke, Sean McDermott, to give you Exhibit A of a wussified beta male versus an alpha male, how they react. Now, an alpha male would have been decisive. An alpha male would have said, go to win this game. You're going to shove it up their ass. You're going to bang them at the line of scrimmage. I don't give a shit if it's a penalty. You hold them, do whatever, bang them in the first, you know, get in there. Do what you need to do. Let's get that time taken off the clock. And if you're successful, great, incomplete pass. Worst case, maybe it's a short pickup. They call timeout, but you don't give up a big chunk of 20 yards. Didn't do that. He was scared. When the biggest moment in his coaching career comes his way, does he rise to the occasion as a strong, out, decisive alpha? Or does he shrivel like a wussified beta with no balls? You all know the answer. He shriveled like a wussified beta. 
And by not answering the question during his press conference, three times he's asked on the season-ending press conference, well, talk about that. You say execution. What happened? Well, look, it's about execution, and we didn't execute, and I'd, I'd rather just leave it at that. Wouldn't answer the question. Reporters tried to pry it out of him. He says, I'm not going to go. Uh, here's exactly when he was asked about it. He says, yeah, I'm still not going to get into specifics on it. Again, it comes down to execution. We didn't execute, so I hope you can appreciate where I'm coming from on that. That's really where I was after the game, and that's where I am now. I'm sorry. That's not an answer. If you are the leader of a team, you are the commanding general, you are the alpha, you step up and say, we had a miscommunication. And as the head coach, the blame lay with me. And I'm just, that, that's all I'm going to say. He doesn't have to point out a player or a coach. However, as the head coach of the team, you're an alpha. You accept the, when thing, times go great, but when things go to hell, you better step up to the plate and acknowledge it and accept it and say, my fault. My fault. He didn't. And that's all I need to know about his character. Instead of saying, look, we had a miscommunication on the initial kickoff. As the head coach, I take and assume full blame. We practice it. We had a breakdown in communication. It is unacceptable. I take the blame. It is my fault because I didn't follow up on it. But no, he keeps it very ambiguous, keeps it very vague. Never once does he look in the mirror and take the blame. That is the perfect definition of a wussified beta male. An alpha male would have absolutely said, I take responsibility. And the two calls that, uh, that I made, the last two plays, we clearly didn't make the right call. We should have covered much more tightly. We should have had press coverage. We called a soft zone, and it backfired, and I take the blame. It's almost as if they, were, they, they, they didn't have situational awareness of where they were. They didn't realize that Kansas City still had three timeouts, and they thought that Kansas City, the Chiefs, just you know needed a touchdown. They were trying to prevent a touchdown instead of keeping the Chiefs out of field goal range. Dumb, dumb, dumb. I am beyond irate. And if you followed my Twitter feed, you would know exactly my feelings on what took place. How extremely unacceptable it was. I mean, it is just blatantly absurd. Now, I, had, I, I, I tweeted something, and uh, someone said, well, I agree with you, but the hashtags that you dispensed were a bit much. Because the hashtags I used were McDipshit, McChoke, McPussy. I believe, frankly, that every one of those hashtags Sean McDermott earned by his incredible inability to rise to the occasion at the most crucial time of a game, number one, 13 seconds to win, and had the Bills won, I know Sergeant Steve's going to differ with me on this, I believe the Bills would have won the AFC Championship game against the Bengals at home in Orchard Park, 
and they would have beaten either the Rams or the 49ers because I think the Chiefs are a much tougher team than the Rams or 49ers. Indisputable. We would have won the Super Bowl. I'm convinced of that. But instead, at the biggest moment in his coaching career, he shrivels. He bends over. He fails. He pulls the beta, wussified beta card. So to me, when you don't accept responsibility and you can't rise to the moment and you can't be thinking ahead, you'll never, that's something that can't be taught. And this is my prediction. Josh Allen, who is certainly amongst the top three quarterbacks, maybe the best quarterback in the league right now. He's made, and listen, when he came out, I said, huge mistake to draft him. He had terrible accuracy issues. He, he, I mean, firing the ball all over the place. Well, he never had the coaching of a Power 5 school or a Power 5 staff. He had to go to a junior college for two years. He only had two offers for a scholarship in Division One. He had, I think it was Central Michigan or Eastern Michigan or Western, one of the Michigans, not the Michigan, and Wyoming. That was it. So he goes to Wyoming, and he didn't have the proper coaching. He, he didn't go to a USC or an Alabama or a Clemson. But the one thing I will say is two things. Number one, he had an incredible quarterback coach in Ken Dorsey and a great offensive coordinator in Brian Dable. They were together for four years. Dable's probably going to get a head coaching job. Mark my words, Brian Dable will be a far better head coach than Sean McDermott ever will be or ever could dream of being. Guaranteed. But Josh Allen took it upon himself to find a quarterback coach in Jordan Palmer and to work rigorously offseason. Not to say, hey, I'm going to just go and you know do nothing for three months. He worked rigorously, and they worked on one specific item every offseason – foot placement, shoulder placement, ball trajectory. And you saw the results last year and again this year. And the other thing that that is happening is the game has slowed down for Josh Allen. He's not panicky. He doesn't feel that he has to be the sole guy. He knows when to throw the ball away most of the time. Occasionally he tries to do too much. But when you saw him lead that drive with 45 seconds to go, calmly, and there were some fourth down situations, he just said, we're going to get this done. His team believes him. We witnessed it on the field. And when you have 13 seconds to go and you as a head coach can't motivate your players, can't instruct your players, can't put them in the right position, cannot communicate properly, that falls upon you. And earlier this season, Sean McPussy, McChoke, McDipshit, had absolutely no problem whatsoever calling out Isaiah McKenzie for dropping a, a for fumbling. The first time he fumbled like 140, 150 um, either receptions, carries, or field goal, or, or uh, uh, um, punt return, or, or kickoff returns. One time. Put him in the doghouse, and when they asked him, well, why did you replace him after the New England, during the New England game, the game they lost in that big windstorm, he said, well, I needed somebody I could trust back there. He threw Isaiah McKenzie under the bus. He pointed the finger at him, and Mark, I, I believe we're going to see Isaiah McKenzie a big free agent market for him. 
He only was on a one-year deal. The Bills didn't use him properly all season. Should have used him more. They did when Cole Beasley was injured in the New England game at New England in December, and McKenzie lit it up. Should have been using him all season long. They didn't. Either New England, I have a bad feeling New England, Miami, where he's from originally, are going to sign him. I hope the Bills can re-sign him because he's a far better player than Cole Beasley right now, who's lost a step. But I have serious concerns, especially the way Sean McChoke threw McKenzie under the bus. So he had no problem throwing a player under the bus, but when he's asked the question, he won't throw himself under the bus because the only person responsible for that loss is Sean McChoke. He's it. He didn't communicate to the special teams what he wanted done. He was the one on the first two offensive plays by the Chiefs with 13 seconds to go. He called the loose defenses, the very soft zone defenses. It wasn't Leslie Frazier. You can be sure that McChoke made the call. He coached scared like a wussified beta with shriveled balls. And when Kansas City kicks the field goal and they win the toss, I was beside myself. I knew the game was over at that point. But the game shouldn't have been over by a last-second field goal. The Bills should have won it going away with 13 seconds to go, maybe two plays elapse, and you keep them out of field goal range. Maybe they do a Hail Mary, you knock that down, and the Bills go on to the AFC Championship and then possibly the Super Bowl. Unacceptable to me. An alpha rises to the occasion. An alpha, when the shit hits the fan, he's the first to step up and accept responsibility and say, we had miscommunication, and the blame lays solely upon me. I was the one that made those two calls. He can talk about execution all he wants. The defense would have never lined up 10 yards off the line of scrimmage unless the head coach and defensive coordinator told them to do so. They didn't line up like that on their own volition. They were told. They, exec- they, were, they did what they were told. Play unbelievably soft. The only person responsible for the loss on that entire team is Sean McDermott, hereafter referred to and known as Sean McDipshit, Sean McChoke, and Sean McPussy. And he can take his process that he talks about, or as I will refer to it as his McProcess, and shove it up his McRectum. Because he showed at the most critical time He didn't have what it takes to make the decision, to make the right decision, and when the shit hit the fan, he didn't have the guts, didn't have the alpha trait to stand up and face the music and say, it's all my fault. Nope, instead he's blaming everybody else. He's not 0-4 in road playoff games. What does that tell you? Josh Allen will win... Not only a Super Bowl, he will win multiple Super Bowls with the Buffalo Bills. Sean McDermott will not be the head coach while when Josh Allen wins those Super Bowls. Mark my words. Sean McDermott was a very, very good coach. He's not a great coach. Good coach to take us from the gutter to tremendous respectability. 
But there's a difference between being able to take you from one place, from point A to point B, and then getting you to point C, the promised land. Sean McDermott, Sean McChoke is not the head coach to do it. My prediction, the Bills next year will win. They will advance. They will not make the championship game, or they will, and they won't win the Super Bowl. Chiefs will be in the way again. Following year, the same thing will happen. And at that point, the ownership of Terry and Kim Pagula will say, we've got a franchise quarterback, an an all-pro quarterback, a generational talent. We We need to win Super Bowls with him. Is Sean McChoke the head coach to be able to do so? And they will come to the resolution and the discovery that he is not And at the end of the 2024 season, he will be terminated with a year or two left on his contract. Brandon Bean, the general manager, will be around for a long time. He's done a great job. He faced the music. He was very emotional in his season-ending press conference. And he stated, we've gone over it a million times. He said, I haven't even been able to watch the the, the film. I I just did this more. Actually, yesterday was the first time. To watch the last 13 seconds. Couldn't even bring myself to watching it. I will not be watching any of the games this weekend. Too painful because I know the Bills should have been there. And I won't be watching the Super Bowl. First time in my life. I'm going to go to a movie. I'm going to do something else. But I'm not going to watch the AFC Championship, the NFC Championship, and the Super Bowl. Because I will get too fucking riled up. That's how pissed I am. Even now. And you can hear it in my voice. And the other thing about alphas, we have passion. Betas have no passion. They're passionless. Whereas alphas, we are passionate. Because when we believe in something, when we stand for something, we exercise tremendous passion to either back it or to see it succeed. Betas don't care. So when people tell me, ah, it's just a game, relax, it's more than that. Again, I'm competitive. I'm a winner. I don't accept failure. And that was blatant failure, all caused solely by our head coach. Sean McChoke, two years from now, will not be the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. Good coach to get us where we needed respectability, but not the coach to take you over the hump. He freezes in key critical moments. The game is too big for him. And Alpha's rise to the occasion. When the shit is hitting the fan, when there is pressure, and Alpha says, yes, this is what I live for. I mean, to me, I personally work best under pressure. I always have. When there's a deadline or there's things going, coming at 20 directions, I have always risen to the occasion. Alphas, you rise to the occasion. I guarantee you live for that. Betas, no, no, no. I don't want to make a decision. Ooh, too scary. No, no, too much. That's Sean McChoke. During the largest moments and most critical times, he is unable, he mentally is unable to process not only the significance of the moment, but to be able to mentally process two, three, four steps ahead decisions that must be made. He just mentally doesn't have the capacity and doesn't have the mental situational awareness to be a successful championship winning head coach. That's fact. Sean McDermott will never win a Super Bowl. I feel very, very confident in saying that. The Bills will win more than one with Josh Allen, but it won't be with Sean, McPussy, McChoke, McDipshit, McDermott.
Trust me, I'm only going to get angrier as the weeks go by. And uh, I like what uh, the general manager, Brandon Bean, said. He goes, look, we've gone over this a million times. We've discussed it. We've all discussed it with Sean. Our ownership, trust me, I guarantee you the owners, Terry and Kim Pagula said, what the fuck happened? And I'm sure McDermott's going to throw the blame everywhere else. Instead of being an alpha and saying, I should have communicated better to our kicker. I was the one that made those calls. They backfired. No, I guarantee you he's going to lie. But mark my words. The truth always comes out because essentially he's thrown the entire defense under the bus and special teams under the bus. Somebody in the next month or two or before the season starts or when they leave the team, when they're no longer a member of the Buffalo Bills, they sign somewhere else. It's a free agent, and there's a, I think there's about a dozen potential free agents that could leave the team. They're going to spill the beans. There, you will see an anonymous source said that Sean McDermott – either didn't make the call to, to pooch kick it or did make the call but never relate it to the kicker, and he was the one that called to play soft. It will come out, and the only one to point the finger at is Sean McChoke, guaranteed. Moral of the story, as alphas, there are times in life when you have to rise to the occasion, when you have to be strong, when you have to be able to think ahead and make decisions in the heat of battle. As alphas, we rise to the occasion. Betas fail miserably and just you know, shrivel at the thought of being in a pressure-packed situation. That is the difference between an alpha and a beta. Thankfully, we're all alphas. Sean McDermott is a McBeta. All right, I went on longer than I wanted to, but uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to save this for a bold alpha next week. The last story, the, the pleasure police are after our, our gas grills, our gas stoves. They're coming after us. It's bad enough that they go after our cigars and they're going after our food and they're going after everything we enjoy. Now they want to go after our ability to grill or cook on gas. I'm going to save that for next week. Don't forget, make sure you subscribe to The Cigar Dave Show. Give us a five-star review. And by the way, if any of you are a member of Bill's Mafia, and we know we have many people who are big Bill's fans that listen, but I would like for you to make sure you tell other people about exactly what I spoke about McDermott. In fact, Sergeant Steve, here's what I want to do. Let's edit the segment where I, I went after McChoke, I want to post that separately so that I can put that on social media and I want to get that uh, spreading because the problem with many of the media in Buffalo, Buffalo Sports Radio and in the print, they are just, they're too wussified to go after McDermott in the manner that he should be gone after. They, they don't have the same ability to provide proper analysis that I do. There's a reason why... Again, I'm the alpha male in chief, and most of them, they're just followers. They won't go on a ledge and say what I just did. Even though they're thinking of it, they won't go on the ledge. So, Sergeant Steve, let's make sure we separate that because I want to treat that out. We'll do that as a separate uh, Bill's Mafia. We'll come up with some name on that. But don't forget to subscribe. And also, our brother podcast, the Bold Alpha Podcast. Give us a five-star review. Subscribe. Don't forget on that. All right, with that... I think I need to have the rest of my cigar and the rest of the bottle of this Cron Royale to get back to a relaxed state of mind. As you can tell, I am quite irate and quite perturbed. I don't foresee that 
departing uh, my being anytime soon, but we'll give it the best shot that we can. Cigar Dave, the General, saying, Mayor Humidor, always be full. Mayor Cutter, always be sharp. Mayor Ashby, extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Screw Sean McDermott, Sean McPussy, Sean McChoke, Sean McDipshit, and live it up.